We are now recording, and this is Out Now with Aaron and Abe. I am Aaron, and Abe is unfortunately not here. He, uh, he He's not feeling too well this morning. Hopefully he'll be getting well soon. He'll be back next week, but for now he's out. But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I discuss new movies weekly. We dig into movies via most of our review, the occasional commentary track, or some other fun movie topic. This is episode 481. 481. We're back to numbers. We've been doing a lot of bonuses lately. And uh, this week we're talking Licorice Pizza. The latest film from director Paul Thomas Anderson. And joining me to discuss Licorice Pizza, we have writer for outlets such as The Playlist and Secret Handshake Cinema. I hear he likes peanut butter sandwiches. It's Brandon Stroisnig. Uh, hey, how's it going, Aaron? Good, good to have you here. Glad to have a, a new guest on the show. Uh, we always like yeah. new guests. <laughs> and uh, also joining us from the Milky Way Blues, he's come from waiting in a long line for gas. It's Yancey Burns. Hey, guys. Good to be here. Yancey, glad to have you on the show as well. It's glad to have you on an episode proper. We get you on the commentaries a lot, but nice to have you on a, a regular episode. Me too. Glad to be here. For sure. Well, yeah, this is going to be fun. We're going to talk about Licorice Pizza. I've been wait- <laughs> It's nice to finally, like, talk about the film. Because um, <laughs> so, we have we have our, our convenient L.A. location where we can just go over to the to the like at the regency that we can see like saw the movie and and now everyone else can see the movie including you brandon we can talk about this we can talk about a new paul thomas anderson yeah movie. it feels like it took forever to get to pittsburgh but uh yeah we finally finally got here <laughs> yeah and we can uh can get all into it because it's always exciting to talk about new paul thomas anderson movies first up some uh show notes here uh new speaking of you yes yeah, new scream commentary track myself uh, Brandon Peters, Scott Mendelson, and you, Yancey, we talked all about Scream uh, for the upcoming Scream. Not confusing. And, um, yeah, that was a lot of fun. We, we talked a lot about, about the movie and the, and the, the legacy and what have you. Uh, you, can yep. find, you can find that uh, right now on iTunes, uh, along with all of the other episodes of our show, where you could also give us a rating and review, which will be wonderful. You can give us a search for out now there and Abe, give us a star rating, write some words maybe, and uh, that pops up in the old iTunes charts. Uh, so thanks in advance. All right. Uh, that's it for, uh, uh, one last thing. Our top 10 show will be two weeks from now. It says next we're covering Scream or Scrifium and, uh, Scrifium. Um, and then, uh, then the week after that, we will do our top 10 show. So we have, so everyone has plenty of time basically to catch up uh, with movies they want to see before we have the definitive list of the top 10 films of the year. So yeah, stay tuned for that. And, uh, all right, let's move on. Now we can move on. Let's get to some, uh, out now quickies. DM each week. Now we do it. That's just fun to do, especially when new guests are around. They're like, "What's happening?" Um, so we're going to talk about some movies we've seen recently. Let's start with you, Brandon. What uh, movies have you seen recently? Uh, in terms of uh, new releases, uh, since it is 2022, um, I was originally going to see uh, the 355 or 355. I don't know what they're calling that, but uh, I think I think the trailer uh, voice goes the 355. That's what it was. Okay. <laughs> I missed that though, so instead I, I ended up seeing uh, an animated movie called um, Poopel of Chimney Town. Um, totally not for me, but very cute. I can definitely see why uh, why family. Or I can definitely see that it's a good family film. But I mean, it's it's got great animation, but it's just it was definitely something where it was just not for me. But uh, and I also watched a uh, directing video action movie because that's kind of my zone lately. Yes. Uh, with with uh, Michael Jai White and Mickey Rourke called The Commando. And I was kind of dreading it because they were in one about six months ago called Take Back that also starred uh, Michael Jai White's wife, Jillian. 
Mm-hmm. And that was terrible. And so I was kind of dreading this one. But this one was kind of decent. It wasn't great. But uh, Michael Jai White got to do his thing. Mickey Work was half awake. So it wasn't bad. <laughs> that, that animated film, what, is that an international film? or? Uh, I believe it's Japanese. Um, it was dubbed in English. Um, the voices weren't great. Uh it, it was, but um, but I believe it's Japanese. Yeah, I believe it's a in Japanese anime film. Okay, sure. Uh, that it? Uh, yeah, those, those are the two most recent things I've seen. Okay, cool. Yancy, how about you? What have you seen recently? Uh, let's see. Recently, nothing super new. Let me see. I caught up on a few would-be Oscar contenders that weren't. I saw The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is not bad. I like the two lead performances. Um. And we've been catching up rewatching the Scream movies. So we watched the first one, the third one, and the fourth one, skipping my favorite. I'm not sure why. And uh, yeah, and then I finally saw this is the latest possible news for, for mainstream. But I, I saw the Fast Nine, the Fast Saga, having not seen too many of those. Mm-hmm. And I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. But it is, I don't know how any, it, it's so dense with backstory that it's almost impenetrable to someone who's not. It's like the Lord of the Rings to people who who haven't seen that before. It's so dense with who is this person and who is that person. I realize no one's talking about Fast Saga this week, but that was a big that was a big uh, eye opener for me. I liked it a lot, but I was really confused. It's like the the fifteenth season of a television show or something. I I'm holding you to this quote by the way, Yancey Burns. The Fast Saga is like the Lord of the Rings. Uh, just, <laughs> just keeping keeping that one keeping that close to me. I'm sure <laughs> Deepman Diesel would like to hear, hear someone say that. <laughs> just one person. <laughs> If you see so, it's like the Lord of the Rings. That's more Stallone for some reason. Anyway, um, I'm so I'm so intrigued by you coming into the the this this series in the ninth entry and being like, there's a lot happening in this that I was not aware of. It's so packed. People get their money's worth with that movie. My goodness, three hours long too. Yeah, it's 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 big. It's a big film. And the central idea that you you have these sort of James Bond missions, but each one involves dropping like 15 muscle cars into the scene and they all drive in different directions is just so absurd. But it's it is what it is. It's the it's only deep. it's the only way. That's what I that's that's what I took it as every every time they presented a new scenario is like this only makes sense if they have cars. That's what, yeah. that's, what I, that's what I tell myself in every movie. <laughs> um, I've seen a few things this week. Uh, first of all, I did see the three five five. Um, which uh, was th- exactly the January delayed to another January movie I was expecting. I certainly can commend the idea of putting an ensemble cast of talented female actresses together, but uh, yeah, it's it's a very bland, born wannabe type action movie. Uh, I, I wasn't expecting much from director Simon Kinberg, but even then, the 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 actor the you know the having um. Jessica Chastain, Lupita Nyong'o, Diane Kruger, Bing Bing, Bing Fan, and um, that other one, Penelope Cruz, <laughs> that other one. Um, it's like, well, these are talented performers. Surely they can at least, you know, have chemistry together or whatnot. They, they don't really. Like, there's not much. It just feels like a movie of convenience. Like, hey, we're all represented by the same talent agency. We could all be in a movie together. And it's, it doesn't really come together as far as either an action movie or a film that could highlight the fact that, you know, these are multiple oscar winners and oscar nominees it's just like no eh, well, that's that's not it's not really not really good um and it's over two hours and it's like this is a this is a slog so uh th- the fact that it said it's from the studio that brought you jason Bourne, uh accurate <laughs> um this is my my takeaway from that one <laughs> um i also saw a movie called france film stars Le- leia sadu as a character named france who is a french journalist it is 
I guess it's like a dark comedy drama. Uh, it just involving her role as being this like famous newscaster who like people constantly want to take selfies with and, and what have you, while, while she gets kind of deeper involved in what her job means to both her as well as like politicians and people that don't necessarily take her seriously. Um, it's a strong lead performance for Sadu, who's been in a lot of things in the past year, between like the Bond movie and other stuff. And it ultimately, like I, I think it's quite good. Uh, it's it is a bit long, but like that's not too much of an issue as far as like it gets to a halfway mark. You're like, where's this movie gonna go? And I'm like, oh okay. And, like it keeps kind of like having not really twists and turns, but interesting like character developments. Um, but yeah, that's France. And um, let's see, I watched West Side Story again with my lovely girlfriend. Uh, guess what, guy? Steven Spielberg really knows how to make a movie. <laughs> he's uh, he's pretty good at that. <laughs> um, it's it's still pretty uh pretty wild how um. Uh, just how like good that felt like how the choices he's making as a director uh just it just really sucks you in as far as that movie goes yeah um, I agree with you. yeah, yeah and, absolutely and uh, lastly i saw a movie called king car which is a brazilian film about a young boy who has the ability to speak to cars and that allows him to reveal that these cars are going through some kind of social upheaval uh, within and they they're trying to resist things going on with the government. It's like a weird satire, dark comedy type thing that I'm not sure fully capitalizes off its ambitious ideas, um, but it is entertaining. And I wasn't expecting to see another movie this year or from last year that managed to involve like people's intense relationships with cars. Uh, but there we are. We have King Car now <laughs> as well, so uh, it's out there. I know it's kind of it's got, it seems like it has mixed reviews. So I guess I'm not the only one that didn't think it was some kind of revelation. But still, I was like, oh, well, it has ideas. I just wish I liked it more. Um, but yeah, okay, that's uh, that's enough quickies. Tim. Let's uh, let's move on now. Let's get to our trailer talk, where we talk about one of the newest movie trailers of the week, when it's coming out, what we thought of it, what have you. Uh, this week we're talking The Northman. This is the latest film from director Robert Eggers of The Vivitch and and the lighthouse uh this film ha it seems to have a more epic scope by comparison it's not trapped until a single location or what have you and we have um alexander skarsgård nicole kinman klaus bang uh anya taylor joy ethan hawk bjork and willem dafoe uh the film's a revenge thriller of sorts uh yeah see are you are you a fan of eggers are you liking what you're seeing here i think he's tremendous i think uh the Witch, and then especially The Lighthouse. The Lighthouse is one of the best things I've seen in the last few years. I thought that was just tremendous and so unique. So I'm on board for anything this guy does. This trailer looked a little more like The 13th Warrior. I mean, I don't mean to say, you know, it, it seemed a little more traditional than what I would expect, but I'm sure in the end it won't be. My, It's a great cast. My only reservation is I haven't yet seen Alexander Skarsgård in something where I really thought he was great or the best choice for the role I, I feel like he's getting better and i haven't seen succession but i, I i'm is that i, I haven't that much, quite, but he's he's fine. he's good at it but it's like a small I role i've seen him be great in something yet um hopefully this will be it brandon how about you i, I actually uh yeah it's, it's funny i just watched the trailer again this morning and i actually kind of agree with a lot of what Yancy just said <clears throat> I, I i think scars guard's fine but uh it seems like the Internet likes him a lot more than I do. Um, I, I've, I've never been like fully blown away by him, but he he seems fine. We'll see. But uh, I, I can't imagine he'll. He's never terrible at anything. But but yeah, the uh, the other thing Yancy said that I definitely agree with is that this definitely looks like the most studio movie for Eggers, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sure there, there, there's a lot of 
weird imagery in the trailer, especially with whatever's going on with Bjork and playing a witch. I think that could be pretty cool. But I think the, the trailer's probably hiding a lot of uh, maybe more uh, the more eggerness of it all. Uh, right. But um, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see him do something with this kind of budget because it definitely looks like he has a lot of money to work with this time. I'm, I'm interested to see that because I, I really love The Witch, really, really love The White House. Or, I'm sorry, The Lighthouse. <laughs> the White House. But uh, yeah, I'm definitely interested to see what he's able to do with more money and see how he handles that. I'm now thinking about the movie The White House, and it's done like The Lighthouse, <laughs> and I'm trying to figure which administration would be the best for The White House. Uh, and unfortunately it's probably the last one <laughs> yeah stark silhouettes <laughs> walking through the halls um i i have no much to add because uh you guys have covered it i i really like what eggers is doing i'm very curious about what sort of ambition he'll have here where he seems to have a more epic scope in mind for the story he's telling yes it looks like a you know, it's a, a, a narrative that I've seen before, but at the same time, I, I'm sure you probably want to sell that to more, to get people in the theater as opposed to look what weird shit Robert Eggers is doing this time around. So <laughs> I, I'd like to assume that there's and I do like I yeah, say I agree with you. I do think there's hints of that in some of the imagery that we're seeing um, with the I guess which characters because you have yeah you have Bjork and Taylor Joy seemingly playing mystics of some kind. Um, Skarsgård, I don't know how he looks more jacked than he did in Tarzan, but he does. Um, so it's like that. I, I, I'm sure that will be satisfying to some, but even then, I do look forward to seeing if he can. <clears throat> I have no doubt that he can lead a movie, but at the same time, I, I agree with you as far as he tends to play a certain kind of person, and it's effective, but it's not necessarily like the person you're going back to, except for, I guess, True Blood. People love him in True Blood. And they couldn't get enough of him abusing people with big little eyes, so you know he's got that going for him. But I, I'm curious if uh, this will be a, more of a breakout for him as far as what he's showing his full range of things. Even if he seems to be saying uh, only three words uh, throughout the trailer. So yeah, the Northman arrives in theaters April 22nd. I'm seeing right now. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how that goes. All right, let's move on now. Let's get to our main review for Licorice Pizza. What are your plans? I don't know. What's your future look like? I don't know. How do you like working at Tiny Toes? I hate working at Tiny Toes. You should start your own business. <laughs> what business should I be in? I don't know. What do you like? I don't know. You're an actress. You should be an actress. So how'd you become such a hotshot actor? I'm a showman. It's my calling. Ugh. I don't know how to do anything else. It's what I'm meant to do. I mean, ever since I was a kid, I've been a song and dance Come man. Come on. Ever since you were a kid. Song and dance man. Where are your parents? My mom works for me. Oh, of course she does. Yes, she does that in my public sense. relations company. In your public relations company? Because you have that. Yes. And you're an actor. Yes. And you're a secret agent, too. Well, no, I'm not a secret agent. <laughs> That's funny. Okay, that should have been some of the trailer for Licorice Pizza. Paul Thomas Anderson has not been shy when it comes to sharing his love for the San Fernando Valley. Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, and even parts of Inherent Vice all visit this part of L.A. Now, as both a tribute to the time and place he grew up, along with an homage to films such as American Graffiti and Fast Times at Ridgemont High, PTA has delivered an offbeat love story. Cooper Hoffman's Gary Valentine is an ambitious little schemer who tends to see something he wants and goes after it. 
He's a young actor, but has a knack for opening up businesses based on what's trendy. He spots Alana Himes' Alana right at the start of the film, and despite claiming to be 10 years his senior, Gary decides he wants to pursue this new crush. The rest of the film focuses on the ups and downs in their relationship while tracking their various misadventures during 1973. Brandon, I assume you are a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson. Most of us are. Where are you with his films as far as the kind of trajectory he seemed to have been on, and what did you think of Licorice Pizza? Um, I, well, yeah, definitely a huge fan. Um, I, it's interesting because I've loved his work quite a bit, but he's never been one of like my guys. Uh, just he's someone that I admire a lot. I love a lot of his movies, but I've never been able to say like, oh, this film that he's made is in my top 10 of all time or anything like that until Phantom Thread, which I just, I adored Phantom Thread. I, I loved, uh, I, I like this like kind of zone he's in right now where he's like, he seems to be, he's always had a, a, a romantic streak to him, but I think Phantom Thread, that really came out in Phantom Thread, and it, I really just keyed into that, and I think that's here in Licorice Pizza as well. And I, I wouldn't say so much with the relationship between Gary and Alana, but more just the, the romanticism of youth, and I found that really sweet, and um, I just found, it felt like he was kind of looking back at his, at his own youth a little bit and mythologizing a bit, and I found that really, like I said, just like this, like romanticism really took, I was really taken with it. It just felt like a really sweet movie. And yeah, uh, it just, it was, it was a zone I hadn't really seen from him before. I think he's had a little bit of that in things like Punch Drunk Love, or there's a little bit of that in Boogie Night before, Boogie Nights before things get, get very dark. But uh, I think that this is definitely his, uh, kind of his loveliest movie. And I just, I was really t- kind of just like taken with but it felt kind of like a daydream almost where you just kind of ride the waves of it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yancey, how about you? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think personally I'm a, I'm a much, I, I, I sort of love him. I think more than Brandon does. I, I, he's definitely been my guy since Boogie Nights. Um, and as I've said to you, Aaron and the other Brandon a few times, um, you know, I think politics aside straightforward, if there's a filmmaker who's got a new film, if every, if every filmmaker in the world had a new film out tomorrow, you would probably go see the Paul Thomas Anderson one, or at least I would, because it has the greatest chance, along with maybe a Quentin Tarantino movie, of being something really, really special. Uh, and that's just track record proven. I think I think every time Anderson's come, Paul Thomas Anderson has come out with a new movie, it's an event and it delivers. Um, I agree, of course, that this is his sweetest movie. I think it is strange. It's funny to see it in the light of, of, of an Oscar campaign, which I guess with his movies now, it's always going to be an Oscar potential but it doesn't feel at all like the kind of movie that needs to get this much attention uh, it, it is very sweet and it feels it feels like it's crafted to be a minor entry in his in his filmography it doesn't have major ambition and it, it and it sort of plays a lot of you know it, it, it it's sort of a shambling ambling sort of movie uh, uh i of course liked it a lot um i my favorites of his are boogie nights and uh, magnolia and Inherent Vice. So I, of course, really love the sort of the vibe when, when he goes for that sort of home, home turf territory. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 I wouldn't say it's as good as uh, Phantom Thread, but I would certainly say that anybody talking about the best and most interesting movies of this year would have to talk about it because it's it's very special, you know, for sure. I um I was a huge fan of, uh, of Phantom Thread and that it's it was interesting to see that, that you know, after Inherent Vice, um, you know, going in that direction as far as from this kind of like sprawling thing that felt more like some of his earlier films yet still had the kind of, I don't know, scope and majesty of what he was doing with there will be blood and the master. 
and then seeing him do something so intimate like Phantom Thread that happened to have this like wicked comedy streak in the middle of it in the midst of the drama happening. It's like what what is I I don't know what journey he's on as a filmmaker, but I certainly appreciate the idea that he seems to be challenging himself even with something like Leader's Pizza, which is maybe his most laid-back film, but at the same time it has so much going for it as far as you know, this time and place that he's very good at depicting this use of actors that, I mean, he gets two breakout, we'll talk about these performances, but he gets two breakout performances from its stars and then has a bunch of either familiar faces or people that just seem to fit roll into this world. And then with it, with all that, he's still making this kind of wholesome coming of age romantic comedy thing, which is just really nice. (laughs) It's just really, it's a, you know, it's, obviously we'll 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 like we can address certain things that have been said about this film but it's from my perspective it's such a and i've seen it twice so far it's such an easy film to kind of like sit and watch and just like kind of revel in as far as the the tone of it all and what you're what you're observing as far as how these two characters are kind of circling around each other for the longest of times in the midst of having these like random misadventures as i called them like they're during this time where they're like like gary starting businesses and they're collaborating on things and they meet certain characters um and it it's just it's just rather delightful which is you know it's not it's not like his pda's films are unlikable necessarily or don't have a i mean they're very watchable so it's like it's hardly like a matter of how do you revisit something like this because they're very easy to revisit but watching a film like licorice pizza it just you, 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 you just kind of you just kind of sit with it and just kind of enjoy the experience that he's laying out for you because I think that's by I mean that's the design he seems to be going for he seems to be just letting you you know just take in the this setting and not be concerned with like a formal narrative just like yeah you're just having a good time with these people uh, so no I I really enjoyed um uh the film uh, quite a bit let's talk about the uh the the actors in this movie we have we have obviously some notables as far as the veteran stars, but you have these two, you know, new, basically new performances from Cooper Hoffman and, and Alana Heim. What'd you, what'd you think of, uh, of their work here? Brian, let's start with you. Um, I thought that they were tremendous. Um, it, it Alana Heim, I, I've never listened to, uh, her, her sister's music all that much. I've heard bits and pieces. And so I, I, I but I, as, as an actress though, she's, she's kind of tremendous. Um, she, she just has like, just, just, Put, even putting aside her talent, her face is so interesting. And I think Anderson kind of really exploits that. Um, you know, we always talk about Spielberg being the king of the reaction shots, but I think he gets, uh, Anderson gets so much mileage out of just Alana's face and, and her reactions to things. Um, she's such an interesting person uh, just to look at cinematically. Um, and I think uh, Cooper Hoffman is just, it's kind of, I mean, I guess it shouldn't be surprising because of who his father is, but it's almost unbelievable how how effortless it seems like his performance is. He's so charming, and it just, it's like, it, it I don't know how to word it, because it, it, it's definitely a performance, because he's putting on a performance within the movie, um, you know, to, to kind of build himself up a little bit and, like, kind of mythologize himself, uh, but... I think just, but but it never feels like a performance, like on the screen, if that makes sense. He just he 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 feels like this guy, and it's kind of incredible. I, I it's been a while since I've seen someone who just kind of just the first time you see them on screen, you're just like, wow, this, this person has it, you know. 
Yeah, from what I've read, uh, I assume most people have read that is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. He's directed a lot of Heim music videos, so he certainly has a familiarity with Alana Heim already, and he grew up with. I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman was one of his best friends, and he grew up with him and Cooper Hoffman, and they like made like I guess like home movies and stuff together. So like, not that it's he's the only director that can you know get a performance out of young actors this way, but like there certainly seems to be a familiarity that probably makes them more comfortable. Um, doing what he's requiring of them, but I think that, because and I agree with you as far as like how well suited these actors just seem to these roles that they're in. But what I what also gets to me is how this movie is set in the 70s, and these feel like actors that would come out of that time as far as the kind of general look they have. Like, Ants, you know what I'm talking oh, about absolutely. as far as as far as like actors and like how how they look like comparatively today to like people that you're casting back then. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you there. Yeah, I've been reading a lot about the late, the now late Peter Bogdanovich the last couple of days, and I keep hearing about how he was drawn constantly to this theme of young love that he he sort of identified with Ernst Lubitsch. Um, and it got me thinking a little bit about about this movie this morning, because clearly that's, you know, if you make a movie about two people who are young and in love, or in this case, young and fond of each other, but not the correct age or whatever, it's almost like you're making a movie about aliens because you don't have to face a lot of things that you'd have to do if you're writing a movie about 40 or 50 year olds. You know, I understand why people are drawn to telling stories about young love. And if you're going to do that, the best possible thing you can do, I think, is debut two new actors as these young lovers. And you can surround them with Sean Penn and whoever you want. But introducing us to these two actors in this story feels very much like a gift. You know, of course, they feel like you feel like you're meeting these characters as real people because you've never seen either of these actors before. I also have not listened to a lot of Haim. Uh, I was only aware of them really through their connection at, at the PTA. But yeah, I mean, you couldn't, it's it's like that old uh, George Roy Hill movie, A Little Romance, although they're a little older than that. You know, you, you it's just, a, it's a home run every time if you can do it, if you can convincingly tell a story about young sort of uncertain love and introduce two two new actors that we want to sort of keep in our collection forever yeah, I thought they were both terrific. Um, uh, much of the attention is going to Haim, but I think Cooper Hoffman is terrific, too. He doesn't remind me that much of his father, other than that he's a very good actor. And he just is, I thought, very lovable. I've seen some people that have sort of, I saw Paul Schrader online talking about how that character is a jerk and he's going to grow up to be a jerk. But to me, I, I thought Not he was like completely... Paul Schrader, though. Paul Schrader, the saint of movies, as we call him. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, I mean, you know, he, I think... It, the, the major achievement of the movie is the is the is the two performances and debuting them. I I agree with you. I mean the there's so much like stuff around them that's fun and like or you know it helps highlight what they're doing here. But yeah, it is it is key to the film that they are they register not just like well as far as actors, but just like a, in a natural sense that like you know fits with this environment and for you know kids that were you know, nowhere near alive <laughs> during the time that this movie is set. <laughs> I, I do, I mean, I, I don't know what kind of research or what how it goes into that process, or if it's just really good talking tos from Paul Thomas Anderson, but they certainly seem to capture a spirit that, you know, from the kind of 70s films that I've seen that, you know, focus on teenagers and younger characters, there's a lot that I found uh, in common with that. Like, Yancey, I know one of your favorite films is American Graffiti, right? I mean, did, how'd you... How, how would you feel this movie compares as far as like the, those kinds of performances in that movie? That is my favorite. American Graffiti has been my favorite movie since uh, for about 20 years. I just think it's the greatest 
movie ever made. And that, unfortunately, that colored me going into this because I heard that it was that Anderson was interested in doing something like American Graffiti. And the title is like American Graffiti. And also it was a reference to a record store that I used to go to when I was a very little kid in Los Angeles area. But, um, you so know, you're, so you're I, saying it set you up to be the best film you've ever seen since American Graffiti. And it set me up to be like, oh, this is going to be this is going to hit me like a shot to the heart. Which is unfair for any. I should. I should. You shouldn't go into any movie thinking about your favorite movie and comparing it to that. And the, in fact, the very first scene in this movie, I don't think anyone's mentioned it in any reviews I've seen. But the very first mo- moment in this movie is a direct quote from American Graffiti when they're in the bathroom primping and somebody else cherry bomb. That that exact scene is in American Graffiti. Um, Performances wise, sure, I, I would agree that in a similar way, although more substantially here, because in in American Graffiti everyone gets a lot less screen time, but. Yes, it's the same sense of you're debuting these actors who seem like they are going to be with us for a long time. I mean, Paul Matt didn't have much of a career, but he's certainly striking in American Graffiti. Um, yeah, the comparison is valid. It's just I, I shouldn't be thinking of any 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 movie alongside American Graffiti. Sure, I mean it's almost a not fair question for you to ask you to begin with. I just want it's more of like the acting. I just I'm curious about as far as you know performances like these that you know obviously there's a modern tinge to them just because they're you know it's a movie made in 2021 so i mean i, I get that but it is it's that same pocket of natural they're naturalistic but they're slightly but they're funny funnier than real people yeah. it's just a, it's, it's a hard thing to, to get but yeah he definitely nails the, the the warmth he's a very warm filmmaker which is why i always think i don't dislike by any means the there'll be blood or the master but when he tamps down that warmth i i miss it a little bit and and here obviously it's completely in full effect i hear you for sure and uh, we'll get back to aspects of of these of the relationship i guess as we go but uh brandon i, I want to hear from you the thing about hoffman that i also really like is i think this kind of character is tricky uh because it could come off as precocious um mm-hmm. and, and that's always irritating but um that, that never happens here and i think that that it's clearly a testament to the writing but it's also i think a testament to him too i think he's so natural and the other thing that i I really like uh, Yancy's point about, you know, kind of debuting two new actors in this kind of story, because because when he said that, it got me thinking, like, well, what if Alana was played by, I was trying to think of someone who's a similar age, and I kept coming back to Florence Pugh, and I was like, I just feel like that would take you right out of the movie, because as terrific as Florence Pugh is, I, I don't think she's ever given a bad performance. It's just there's something about having someone that, yes, is famous in another medium, but, you know, isn't someone who's ever really been on screen before there's something to that that allows you to kind of like sink into this movie's fabric a little bit and i i really uh i hadn't thought about it that way until yancy said that so i was kind of playing a game in my head of you know who else would i cast in this role and there really isn't anybody um that's actually interesting uh, that is interesting uh, it not actually it just is interesting um because it you're you're not wrong it, it by having someone that you have no like screen familiarity with I do think that that helps yeah. you get into Gary's mind as far as the, the whatever allure he has that he's seeing because there's a mystery there, right? Where if you have, you know, a known actor playing this part, your I think your attention goes to just that person and you think about you and then you start comparing her, that, you know them to the other roles they've been in and what makes us di- like it it feels like it would it would neutralize the kind of whatever you're forming in your head as far as that bond between these two characters and what's, you know, what's making them connect. Because uh, you just be thinking about other things. I, I think it's the the casting is key as far as like what you're getting out of having two you know basically new people to screen. Uh, yeah, and as far as uh, what you asked about uh, other performances, I don't know. There's 
there's not one that I really can pick as a highlight because I thought that they were also kind of just perfect. Um, I, I love movies like this where, you know, you're kind of following two people and like, it's kind of just like a, you know, this term gets thrown out a ton, but it's, you know, kind of like a hangout movie where you're just kind of drifting in and out of the lives of like different kind of weirdos. And it's just, it was just kind of thrilling to see who was going to pop up next. You know, a lot of the uh, praise is going towards Bradley Cooper, who who is very funny. But I just, I, I think uh, the one I was drawn the most to, though, was Sean Penn, who I haven't liked this much in a long, long time. Uh, I was trying to think when I liked him this much last. And I honestly, I, I couldn't come up with when I really enjoyed him this much. I thought he found, for as big of a character as he was and, you know, funny as he was, I thought that he brought a lot of, like, like uh, warmth and soulfulness to the the character he was playing, and I just felt like there was he, he was bringing something that I haven't seen from him in a long time, which was, was really thrilling. My my answer to that question honestly is the Secret Life of Walter Mitty, <laughs> because I do think he he, br- he brings yeah. a very similar <laughs> quality as far as a warmth and a sense of humor. And it's not like I I only need Sean Penn to be funny or be in roles that requires him not to be you know, the, the method dramatic actor that he's won three Oscars for, but it doesn't hurt, honestly. Like, at this point in his career, when you think of Sean Penn, you think he's a humanitarian and he's serious and he has some other issues. It's like, well, it's nice to see him having, like, a good time in something. And I agree with you. I do think he's a good time here. Obviously, his he's not, he's not you know, he's not a villain, but he's certainly, you know, if you want to talk about inappropriate relationships, the way he conducts himself here is, you know, the thing that the movie's very clear in commenting on, uh, as opposed to trying to make something terrible out of the the horrible thing the internet has to say about uh, Gary and Alana <laughs> being together. Um, but but him as, what is it, Jack, Jack Holden, the William, the William Holden standing, like, I, I do, I agree, but I do think he's very good in here. Yancey, how about you? Were you with Penn in this? Oh, yeah, I mean, it's great. To see, he's someone who I, I've always loved Sean Penn as an actor, of course, but he's definitely someone who I sometimes worry is on the verge of taking himself too seriously. This, so to see him in something like this, a, a sort of smaller role in an ensemble piece was really nice. He definitely brought the movie star vibe in a way that was nice to see, um, because you know, recent Sean Penn is like directing movies that no one sees and... And you know, he did one a... old he did one old man action movie that nobody remembers, uh, right? And even I'm struggling to figure out the name of that movie right now because <laughs> um, it's something yeah. I guarantee it's something generic. And I'm gonna look at you. Keep yeah. going, I'll find it. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's 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 a great little scene, and and you know, is he as far as what you're saying about you know the, the his sort of. Uh, Intense, intense. His intentions toward toward Alana Haim. You know, yeah. It, the scene plays like that sort of inappropriate intent is not even intentional. It's just a, a result of being, you know, a sixty-year-old or whatever man. Like a movie. Like a lot of the a lot of the plot of this movie is watching a, 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 was watching her react to how these older men are treating her, as opposed to how Hoffman treats her. That's sort of the, the through line, and it plays across her face very well in those scenes. Um, the gunman. I mean, yeah. That's a terrible more... title. The the gunman. I'm sorry. <laughs> like that's that's the title. <laughs> I never guessed that. But yeah, no, I you know it's 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 a it's a it's a it's a it's a very good scene in, in a movie full of very good scenes. You know, I I I do think I can't get in my mind. The first thing I think of is going to be the John is going to be um, John Peters. The John Peters scene. It's just such a perfect scene, and Cooper just or Bradley Cooper just so 
captures that sort of nervous energy that even when he walks in from the side of the frame, you can just you can just the walk even seems right. You know, this intense, nervous, coked up walk. You know. <laughs> Which one's in charge? Are you are you in charge? Yeah, I'm in charge. May I just speak with you for a second? Yeah, sure. Thanks. You can tell your crew to stop. Stop for a sec, guys. Um, so this is what I want to say to you. Um, do you know who I am? Yeah. Do you know uh, who my girlfriend is? Barbara Streisand? Barbara Streisand. Sand. Sand, yeah, like sands. Like the ocean. Like Barbara Streisand? No, like Streisand. Sand. Streisand. Streisand. Barbara Streisand. Barbara Streisand. It's, I mean, he's, he is hilarious in here. Like, with, like, the vibe that he's on, it totally jives with, like, the movie that we're watching. But he does, it's just this manic sense of energy that continues. Like, because it, it, it's always comedic, but it certainly has this level of, like, thrill <laughs> and, like, tension to it based off what the kids basically do to him without his knowledge. And then you're just wondering, like, where is this going to go? And it leads to what has to be one of the best action sequences of last year as far as a, a truck being rolled downhill backwards. <laughs> it's like, this is incredibly tense. Uh, like, Anderson knows how to capture this just right. Uh, and there's this, like, specter of Cooper lurking in the background so we're going to keep popping up and finding these kids. And it's just... It's a nice little, like, you know, saying hangout movie, I totally get that as well. It's easy, but it makes a lot of sense. But, like, as a, you know, like a 15-minute segment of this two-hour-plus movie, it's like, this is just, like, this. there's a lot going on here, but it's very entertaining. I wonder why he chose to call him by his real name, but then give William Holden and, and also the Tom Waits character sort of pseudonyms. I wonder what I, I assume Peter's forced him to use his real name. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> seems like the kind of guy he would be. He's like, if you're gonna make an amalgamation of me, it better just be me, John Peters, yeah. Spider Man. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, I Cooper's the kind of actor. Bradley Cooper. I keep forgetting there's two. Yeah, two Coopers. In this movie. Um, <laughs> uh, Bradley Cooper's the kind of actor who I I never remember how much I like until I see him on screen, and then I'm like, oh yeah, this guy's incredible and you know you know of course that's that, that that's not a new revelation he has like what like four oscar nominees he's he's great and everything but he's just the kind of guy that like he's not forgettable ever but he just recedes to the back of my mind and then as soon as he shows up on screen i'm like oh yeah this guy's really good and i feel that way every time i see him on screen and i and i felt that way here too he's just he's so he brings kind of like uh the same as sean penn just this movie star quality to a film that not, that, that never needs it, but definitely helps you know the movie uh, become more than it is. Of the of the kind of the standout older actors, and it's older just by comparison to the Heyman Hoffman, but like as far as the standout older actors go, C Cooper and Penn certainly. But then also, and there's you know there's a number of like people that pop in and out. One that got me is um, Harriet Sansom Harris, who's like Gary's like the man like the acting manager person that yeah. they go to see. Um, it's a, great. yeah, she is great. She was in Phantom Thread also as like, I think like what, like the spoiled woman that like was just unhappy and not satisfied with the dress that, um, Woodcock was making. Uh, but she's like what she's, she's, uh, uh, Tobolowski's wife in Memento, Miss, Mrs. Jenkins. Uh, but she pops in here for like just a scene and just the way she's communicating with the kids as far as like, she's just, a lot is like basically just saying, Yes, I'm you know fluent in every you know I speak all these languages I can do 
Krav Maga, like, and all this stuff. <laughs> and the way she's just like re- reading this and like seeing opportunity as far as like getting her work and stuff. It's just another like, it's a performance that's like, it's it, it seems keyed into this world. And from, we haven't talked about this, but as far as I understand, Thomas Anderson is, he's basing a lot of this off of like what, like friends that he's had, like a specific friend that he's had as far as um, the Gary Valentine character, but just like, things he's known about this period of time and everything, right? And so, like, I, I can't imagine this not being based off, like, some kind of talent agent also, but it's just a very... It's, like, not unhinged. There's just some, there's something there, which, which is, like, the same you can say about all these performances. There's just, like, some, like, extra quality to it that just, like, helps bring it out as far as, like, the, what we're seeing here. The Safty role, too, is, for that matter. There's just, like, little quirks, I guess, that just kind of bring this stuff out. That's actually the best I've seen uh, Benny Safdie because, of course, I love Good Time and I think he's great in that movie. But mm-hmm. in this, he 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 kind of brings uh, like what you were saying. He brings something more to the role than just you know like a, a face that you're familiar with popping up. Um, especially that scene, you know, not to get into spoilers, but that scene at the dinner table. Mm-hmm. Um, he he's very good in it, and I just it wasn't something I really ever expected from him. And he's a guy that I liked, you know, I liked him in his own movies and everything. But uh, yeah, he's I, I was really kind of blown away by his little bit in this movie. It's like a it's like a lived in. Thing. It's just like everyone like feels like the seventies here. I think that's a huge part of it. Like there's just there's just this like level of detail that they're going for. That's obviously in the set design and everything, but also just like the way people allow themselves to look with the hair and the, you know, there's the, there's a certain kind of, I don't know, a sweatiness <laughs> to it that just feels appropriate. Uh, no for, one ever really feels out of, out of place in this movie. For sure. Let's see what else? I mean, so we, I mean, speaking of like the time period that we're seeing, we're seeing what, 1973, and we're getting a lot of different like ideas as far as like what's going on in the world in like this specific area. Like the, the gas prices thing is obviously a huge part of it. Um, it brings that into there. I mean, the, the nature of Alana and a lot of the other like you know female characters in this movie, there's certainly a a vibe there as far as like what um you know despite like like, like you mentioned yeah, see the the nature of the relationships that she's and like the older men that keep coming into her path. Uh, there's also this you know this idea of uh, women liberation type you know women lib thing and whatnot like kind of running through it. Uh, as far as her state of mind and teenage rebellion, as far as these other kids go, any any thoughts on like the, the various themes that we're kind of getting through uh, in this movie, the time and place? I, I kind of uh, agree with a lot of what you just said um, with what this what he's kind of going for with this. But what I found really kind of uh, kind of dead on, um, uh, not that I was around in the seventies, but just kind of the general feeling of someone like Alana's age, uh, you know, being kind of stuck trying to figure out you know i'm still kind of young i want to you know live my life a certain way you know i don't want to take things too seriously but also you know she keeps slowly drifting into things that are a little more serious you know everything that happens with benny safi's character you know wanting to work in politics and i just think there's something really kind of i don't know if the right word is um it's not sad but it's there's something kind of heavy about her her kind of place in life, because I think, like you said, like the whole women's wood thing, you know, um, there, there's, there's still kind of like a, women are being kind of held back a little bit in this time period. And I think she's kind of like really struggling with that, trying to figure out where her place is and everything. And I think 
she gravitates towards Gary because there's a part of her that's like, this world's too heavy for me. This, you know, this kid's kind of just living his life freely. I want to, you know, be that kind of person again. I, I, you know, I trying to, you know, hold on to her youth while also, you know, realizing I can't be that kind of person anymore. You know, there's a lot going on in the world. I need to grab onto something and, and take this seriously. And I think he, Anderson and uh, Hayne get really, get really, you know, grab hold of something here. This is, you know, really kind of profound and, and really, I guess it is sad in a lot of ways, you know, just trying to hold on to your youth while also realizing that, you know, if I don't do something soon, the world's going to pass me by and I'm going to be some somebody who never did anything. And I think that there, there's a lot of that in here that I really kind of connected with because I just turned 30 last year, which, you know, isn't old, but it's also not young anymore. And there is a part of me that feels like, man, you know, what am I going to do, you know, with the rest of my life? You know, there's, there's, it's kind of like a weird transition point, your late twenties or early thirties where you're like, I need to take, I need to do something seriously, but I also, you know, there's a part of you that's like, no, I'm still young. You know, I want to do this. I want to do that. It's something I kind of really connected with in this. I can see that. And I feel like if I was seeing this when I was younger, I'd have more to like directly relate to, but it certainly reminded me of watching The Graduate when I did for the first time, which was in my last year of college. And despite how good that movie is, it also was terrifying to me because it's like it's about this guy <laughs> who has no idea what he's going to do afterwards and just kind of drifts uh, before, you know, everything that happens happens. And I, I there's, you know, there's elements of that. I mean, it's not like Anderson doesn't know what he's doing as far as this movie goes. And I do think there's elements of The Graduate here as well as far as Alana's character because, yeah, there's, there's this, like, desire to want to do more but what right and there's this this guy who is you know pursuing her but it's like why this guy but at the same time it's like why not this like there's something here clearly this guy like is entertaining me um but what can i get out of this and like what but he has businesses can i join these businesses will that lead to somewhere this isn't serious it's just a bunch of kids what can else i do oh there's a there's a guy running for mayor i can do something like like it's just all it's like seeing her being pulled in different directions and figuring out like what it is she wants that that does that is interesting as far as like matching that to like this time and place and like what that what that could amount to mm-hmm. he doesn't underline you know it, it's it, he doesn't underline a lot of a lot of stuff but he's such a thoughtful filmmaker that you can't help but notice that you know she's clearly drawn to cooper hoffman because of what it is about cooper hoffman that is still young and perhaps naive she really likes his fun energy and, and and which is why i guess spoiler alert when she finds out later that he's been getting hand jobs or whatever from the it, it sort of sullies it for her because i think she sort of saw him as having something that the other men in the story who are all older and kind of lecherous d- d- doesn't have so maybe she's being a little wistful about leaving childhood behind you know, a little aware that the world she's drifting into is is one uh, of a lot of compromise um but again, he doesn't underline it, so I, it doesn't feel necessarily like the movie is about those things. It just feels like those things are, are present. He, he, he's sure. a, it's got a very light tech movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I, yeah. I, I hear you. How, so, <laughs> I guess we'd be remiss not to like mention this, but obviously there's been a lot of <sighs> blowback as far as the idea that, Coop, that Cooper Hoffman and Alana Heim uh, are 
in a relationship in this movie to whatever degree that extends to. I mean, the tin drum exists. That movie exists and was like almost mainstream. And that is a little boy being sexual <laughs> on women. It's like, this is a, such a chase sweet movie about people who kind of like each other. The fact that there's any kind of blowback, it just tells you more about the people who are blowing back than it does this, this movie. I'm sorry. You weren't even finished. Oh yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I, I don't have much to add beyond what you're saying. It, it, especially based on actually, you know, seeing the movie, there are just so many elements that don't make sense to me as far as what the film's being accused of. Like, I, there's an angle on this, I'm sure, um, that tracks for certain folks, and that's fair to some degree, I guess. But, like, based off the movie I've watched, for one thing, like, Gary's the, the aggressor in all of this. But even then, <laughs> it is a very chaste and sweet relationship that doesn't amount to anything more than, like, a handhold and a kiss. Like, it's, it's, it's just like, there's nothing here to comment on to begin with. But, uh, ran it's, any... it's so yeah. well. It's so str- it was so strange to me because uh, I'm sure you guys know this movie had such a long rollout that like you guys saw it a while ago, and by the time it got to me in my city, I was like seeing all this you know like happening on Twitter, and I'm like, what is going? You know, what is what is this movie I'm going to see? And there was a big part of me that was like, I'm sure this is all being blown out of proportion, and of course it was when I saw it. I, like you said, it's chased, and it's just it it there's just a frustrating lack of engagement that people have with with you know taking a film as it is and you know i just i saw so many people saying you know things like oh i walked out of the movie i was so shaken and it's like come on (laughs) i mean like i i just it's so bizarre to me and i and you know not to cast a wide net and this is such a landmine to step on so i'm going to keep it brief but I just think a lot of this pushback I've seen, I, I saw a lot of people sharing TikTok videos, and I'm, I don't use TikTok, so I'm going to sound super old here. But but um, I, I saw a lot of people sharing these videos where these young younger people in their 20s were saying this sort of stuff. And it's just, it's been so bizarre to me to see a, a generation right below me using the same kind of, like, I, I don't know the right word, uh, kind of using the same terminology that people were in the 80s about you know metal and sat- satanic music and everything <laughs> just this weird weird kind of approach to media that's been kind of like disconcerting to me and it's just been very strange to watch happen with with movies like this that are so like kind of lovely and i think if you take the movie for what it is and it's like anderson kind of like looking either himself or taking someone who's definitely like i, I said it a few times already kind of like looking back into his youth kind of and, and when you do that, you kind of you you kind of um, exaggerate things in your mind that happen. So I mean, who's to say that this story he's telling, maybe Gary's point of view is a lot more romantic than Alana's was. It would be if Alana were to look back at this. And I just think that it's kind of it, it's. It, I think there's something to this movie about being you know like the stories we tell ourselves about our youth and how we mythologize certain things. And I think to take it as like, oh, this is a grooming story is so basic and, and sad <clears throat> that someone would approach this movie that way. And it's just, it's just frustrating. Yeah. It I reduces mean, everything. Yeah. That kind of thinking reduces everything to sex. Everything. Exactly. Exactly. It's, it's like, come on, we're the human race. We got a little more going on than just Sex and, and and you know it, it and I'm assuming and we've talked about this before, Aaron, but I think it's all rooted in the fact that this is a film by a guy who, for some people, has a reputation as being beloved by the movie bros, right? Isn't PTA also beloved by a bunch of presumably stupid guys who don't like movies made by women directors? 
I think that sort of myth exists out there. So the idea is we're going to willfully not see the poetry here. We're just going to say, why does this 50-year, 50-ish white established director get to make a movie about this inappropriate subject matter? Of course, it's not inappropriate subject matter. That's absurd, but it's just... Again, I feel that this movie should not be dragged into the award season, and it shouldn't. And this felt to me from the beginning like fake outrage designed to torpedo the movie's chances to win an Oscar, which is just nauseating to see on a lot of levels. It's it's not a whole No one's gonna. And I think you're probably right about the rollout. The fact that people hadn't seen it but had heard about it in the old days it was supposed to be. Wow, I really want to see this. It's getting such great buzz, but now it's oh, I hear it's about inappropriate relationship. I'm not going to be seeing that film. You know, you know, you exactly. can't see it because it's not playing. So you take the stance, and it's just—it's a very strange era we're it, living in. It's the weird thing where, like, it's not it, it, it. I can't even be like it's trying to be provocative because it's not provocative whatsoever. <laughs> like, there's just there's nothing no, here. Not, <laughs> <laughs> she nothing. shows it's him funny because... from behind, and it's like a scene from uh from a, from like a cheaper by the dozen movie or something like that's supposed <laughs> to be a scene where she is raping Cooper Hoffman, and he's going to be burned forever by this inappropriate thing. And it's like no actual single person feels that way about life, but on mass, we can decide that's how life is, you know? <laughs> it's funny. Like I, all I know is that I, I think Sean Baker and Red Rocket are very happy that they came out in the wake of this movie's discourse. <laughs> because there's, I think there's something much, and, and obviously I don't know, uh, you know, nothing cancelable about Red Rocket, but I think there's much more egregious things going on in Red Rocket that people could talk about that they're not talking about because everyone's mad about the first speech. <laughs> so there's the other thing <laughs> since we're on this track, as far as what the movie's getting hammered for, um, where oh, you, right. you have, yeah, you have John Michael Higgins character, uh, playing a restaurant owner, a Japanese restaurant owner. And he has, uh, basically has two, he has multiple Japanese wives and in expressing in, 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 in talking to them, he uses this absurd accent. Um, that's, I mean, I feel like so having seen this twice now, uh, the the like you know once as a press screening and the second is just general audiences, it does seem like it's eliciting the appropriate response from my point of view. Where like the because you it basically it, ha it doubles down on this like it has it once then it has it again, and the first time it just seems so like out of place and awkward. There's like no, I there's no real like response here as far as like what the what the hell was that, and then the second time. I feel like Anderson is probably going for comedy, but like, I, but certainly it feels like it's directed at Higgins. Like this, that's them excusing like the idea of like making this kind of a joke. But there is like, as far as like of the things to be like massively upset about, I, again, I'm just like, I mean, that has that has to be coming from somewhere. Like beyond like, Brandon, where, where, where are you on this aspect of the film? Uh, this one's tougher because I. It's strange because I, I think the intent is obvious. I think that it's clearly at John Michael Higgins' expense. I don't think he's Anderson's ever. Yeah, he's the buffoon intent. in this, clearly. Right, yeah. right. And I, and I think that that, I think that it is obvious, but at the same time, I don't know if the joke fully works. And I think the double down on it is kind of, it, it, I don't think it's something that t taking all of the, what's the word, problematic elements out of it. I'm just not sure that it was funny, but. But um, I can see why people, especially people of, like, Asian diaspora, like, are upset about it. I, I can see where they're coming from um, because when I saw it, I saw it in a fairly packed theater, and that definitely got some of the largest laughs, and I was in a predominantly white crowd. So I can see how if you're 
someone sitting in a theater, you know, and, and that happens, you're kind of like, whoa, <laughs> you know, like well, all these people are laughing at me. And I think, I think we're laughing at John Michael Higgins, but I think that it's just, it's kind of like a tricky needle to thread and I don't know how well he threads it. It reminded me not to go on too far off of the digression. It reminded me when I saw Hateful Eight, a movie I like a lot, mm-hmm. but the audience was predominantly laughing only at Jennifer Jason Lee being hit or everyone calling Samuel Jackson the N-word. And I, it started to get to a point where I was like, why are you only laughing at this stuff? This is kind of strange. And but that's more on the audience than the filmmaker. Um, exactly. But it, it was kind of a, but, but I don't, I, I see where people are coming from, but I, again, I don't think, I think there's something maybe there more than anything else that's being talked about with this movie. But at the same time, I don't think it's anything that's like deserved this kind of, this level of, um, Scurly. conversation. Yeah. Where, where people are, you know, it, it's turning into, you know, angry Twitter threads and, you know, like angry think pieces. And I just not sure, sure that it deserved that, but I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. It's, I agree with you. I, I think we're dancing around Aaron, you, you sort of danced around it, but it clearly is meant to be funny. It's supposed to be supposed to be two funny scenes. Um, the point of the humor is not the woman, but 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 John Higgins, uh, you know, cluelessness. It doesn't work very well. It's just as a scene. I don't think it's very funny. I think it's the kind of thing that Christopher Guest could have pulled off with that character with Higgins in the same situation. If, if we'd seen it a few more times, we would have gotten the joke a little more. Um, but as it is, it's the same situation as with the inappropriate romance age romance it's people willfully it's people willfully finding something offensive when all evidence points to the contrary i don't know i've never met paul thomas anderson but i'd be willing to bet a lot of money that he's not a racist based entirely on the fact that that nothing in any of his other films that seems to be motivated by that kind of stupidity or, or, or thuggish thinking knowing that if he presents a scene with a character who is a racist i know that he's not presenting his own feelings but more and more in this world, we're stripping that away and saying, well, you don't know anything about this guy. He might have been doing all this stuff just to hide his racism. And now he's finally being a racist, open racist. And it's like, yeah, I guess if that's how you want to approach it. I mean, the scenes that fall flat that aren't very funny that I would have cut from the movie, but not because they're offensive, just because they it either doesn't get enough time or it does or it gets too much time. But it's just not gay. It's just it's a very brave role for Higgins to take uh, in this day and age. But I, and, he, and he does well, but it's just it feels like it should have been deleted and it would have saved the movie some controversy too but perhaps yeah but at the same time it's from a film from a a thematic standpoint or from a character standpoint like it does alert both gary and alana to like where things could go like in a certain in a certain way like it's like i'm not saying it's entirely necessary but i see the point uh, beyond just like whether or not there's an amount of humor you're supposed to be taking away from it as far as these the characters also in the scene go i could see why I can see what they what he's going after. Sure, as far as it's this dangerous thing of like, not only can you not be racist, you can't even portray racism unless you're having a character say that's terrible to be racist. And that's basically (laughs) when you worry about that, you're worrying that somewhere in the audience is someone dumb enough to not get it and really think, you know, I'm going to be a racist now because PTE told me to be a racist. And you just can't. You can't worry about that. And, and, and clearly he doesn't. That's why the, the scenes in the movie, it's like, I'm yeah. making the movie I want to make based off what I assume are weird experience I've had with people that I know. Um, and I'm going to, I'm going to leave all that in there. Uh, also, yeah. it's, it's a movie. Like it's supposed to like stimulate the mind and make you think about certain kinds of things, even if they're uncomfortable in some way. Right. Of course. It's not supposed to be, you know, we're just getting farther and farther away from this idea of, okay, this guy's an artist and he's telling me something. Let me see what he's trying to say. I trust him as an artist. And, 
drifting more towards every towards just looking for an opportunity to make a name for myself by being offended at something, which is clearly went to the bottom of this whole thing. You know, that's the most frustrating thing. What you're getting at is I, I'm finding that more and more. And, you know, of course, Twitter is in real life. And I don't think mo- most people don't think the way people think on Twitter, especially film Twitter, whatever that is as an entity. But um, I, I had a tweet that kind of picked up a tiny bit of traction after I saw the movie where I said something that um, I, I don't think movies that most people see are challenging anymore. And I think that a lot of them are written as if they're a prolonged tweet thread that t- tell you how to feel. And, and I said that and a lot of people picked up on the fact that I said that, that they thought that I was insinuating that licorice pizza is challenging. And I, and my point wasn't that the movie's challenging. It's not, but the fact that it's not written in a, in a way that most people are, the most movies that people are seeing now now it's not written like that the movie the movie's not challenging and that's the embarrassing thing about all of this it's it's pretty upfront with how it feels but it's not written from a certain perspective of like you know telling you exactly how to feel and it's i think that's where some of the confusion coming from for people and it's frustrating that people are approaching art this way now yeah yeah well there's only so much we can do about it, but at the same time, I, yeah. I trust that I trust that PTA is probably not going to come back of a movie that's an apology tour. I think he's just going to continue doing exactly whatever the hell he wants to do. So that's oh, I doubt I doubt he even saw any of any of the comments. yeah. I don't think he's like yeah. He 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 and Maya Rudolph have like too many kids running around in conservative films with what Twitter is. Like, <laughs> um, let's talk more about the the you know the fun movie that we watched again. Um, any other thoughts? Oh, are some things we haven't covered already? Soundtrack's great, as I would have expected. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah. Soundtrack's great. Um, but yeah, I just... Uh, I found... And this is such an easy comparison to make, but I think one of the reasons I loved it so much is I just found such a kind of... What's the word I'm looking for? It, it felt very compliment, complimentary to um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in a lot sure. of ways. It's yeah. Kind of drift, drifting, drifting around, you know, you're kind of just... I love... I, I'm really missing movies like these lately where you just kind of like sink into the movie and you just let it take you wherever it goes. And it just, it, they, they both feel so hazy and just, and just nice in a lot of ways. And that's, and yeah, I think like an that's an experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's just, that's what I really, really keyed into with this is I just, I, I, I miss movies like this where you just kind of lean back and you're just like, you know, you're in the hands of somebody who's so good at what they're doing and you're just kind of like, taken with it immediately and it also features a controversial scene involving an asian actor um so you know it has that going oh, on I, forgot, well. I forgot all about that <laughs> just here, I, I don't want to be taken by a director and taken somewhere i don't know where i'm going in their hands i don't want that to happen that's disgusting that, that's what it's like now you know but I, Brandon, I entirely agree with you because I mean that was my favorite movie of that year. Um, and, I mean they do have a, a particular vibe to them as far as so much less concerned with telling a quote unquote story, and more concerned with what if we just followed like two interesting characters through a movie and, and just like yeah. absorb yeah. this time and place, absorb the texture of it as opposed to the narrative compelling nature of where, where things are going to go next. It's just fun to kind of be in this vibe. And just kind of roll with it, which is like, Nancy, I don't disagree with you as far as Licorice Pizza easily could have been like a summer release that just sits there and people just enjoy it for what it is as opposed to a, you know, a, a competitor in the competitive award season that we have going for it. It just does feel like a, you know, a, not necessarily like a lesser movie, just one that's like, 
why concern yourself with that aspect when you can just like enjoy the fact that it exists <laughs> to begin with um yeah it's the kind of movie you gotta really that and once upon a time in hollywood it's a measure of how good those two filmmakers are because it's you gotta be really good to do a movie that seems aimless but isn't you know and sure. just further proof that if you know the, if you know how to do, make a movie the rules don't mean anything you can totally break the rules and make whatever movie you want which both those movies do you know they don't follow any kind of save the cat structure you know it's just a brilliant filmmaker sort of rambling and it's fine with me you know and it's interesting that it feels like I, I think they're around the same age. Uh, I think maybe Anderson's maybe a little younger than Tarantino. I can't remember, no. but um, but they both both of these movies feel like um, two filmmakers who have said so much, you know, through their films over the years. You know, that these two films feel like them kind of like both looking back at a period in their life that they'll never get back, and and that they, you know. And, and it's just it's interesting how how similar they are the more I think about them. Um, that's, there's that's definitely a lot of love and a culture and a more a more open culture to be honest. They obviously both, especially the QT movie, is him yearning for a time that was less whatever than now. You that's, know? that's an interesting yeah, question though definitely. because there's there's obviously like rose colored glasses on the experiences that are taking place even with the horrific things that happens in one of those movies and at least some of the drama that takes place in this one. But I I am curious. Do you think? Maybe this goes to the like. There's a there's a there's a thread of these guys, these these uh, Gary and Alana like running uh, through a lot of this movie, often at each other, but they are running quite a bit. And I wonder, like, is there anything to that as far as PTA, like, showing like this idea of like running away from responsibility and getting older and the 80s? Do you think there's just this kind of sense of what if what if time was always this? Yeah, I think there's something to that for sure. Yeah, especially with uh, what you just said, Yancy, about um. Uh, a more open culture and uh, in, in what you just said, Aaron, about the eighties approaching. I mean, that, you know, we, 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 you know, Reagan's right around the corner, you know, things start becoming more restrictive. And then of course, you know, um, we start to going into, you know, uh, everything with uh, Tipper Gore and putting uh, labels on music and everything. And I just think that there is kind of like this, like looming threat of like, I, I don't even know if I would call it censorship, but just like, a looming threat of like things are going to be a lot harder for artists <laughs> very soon, and and you know just kind of trying to live it up one last time. Yeah, which is why Quentin Tarantino is talking about quitting. I think um, I think he feels like he doesn't say it, but I think he feels like it's getting too restrictive to be able to make movies. And even that movie, if it had come out two years later, once upon a time in Hollywood, it would have been. There would have been a lot more criticism than there was. Look how Flicker Pizza gets treated. There's a lot more genuine antisocial sentiment in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood that if you want to dug in, if you want to dig into it, he's talking about a time when when it was more uh, acceptable to have maybe killed your wife, which is you know a hugely <laughs> loaded thing. But you know, I think both of these guys are more people are people directors than they are judgmental you know i mean, I mean ridley scott just came out of two movies he's 84 i mean like <laughs> tarantino yeah. should like maybe i i hope the break that he's taking right now to be a dad and apparently an author um like helps him out as far as getting him out of this the zone of whether or not he can continue making movies in the future but he also, seems also to be, he also seems to be more socially conscious than ridley scott cares to be so i guess that's probably a factor also <laughs> the PTA said he said he would you know he he joked about the quitting thing and like if I quit you would just not see me anymore I wouldn't make a big deal about saying I was yeah. <laughs> but it's like he's not going anywhere and no one's ever straight up asked Tarantino if 
how can you explain The Irishman, which you love, Tarantino, is the best movie of that year. How can you explain that if every director past 60 loses their mojo, you know? Like, was, don't you have that? Scorsese's just got more, like, more interesting in this 2010s run of <laughs> all the movies he made, but yeah. <laughs> uh, any other thoughts on Licorice Pizza? I know we got to wrap this up so we can move on, but any anything else on the mind about it? I, no, I think, think I said pretty much most of how I feel. It looks great, too. I don't, not, I, I don't know how to emphasize the cinematography, but it's just like, it's a great-looking movie. <laughs> like, yeah, that's another thing that we, we miss a lot lately. Yeah, it looks terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, well, uh, the thing we do here, Brandon, as far as how to rate these is we ask, when should people go and see this movie? So Licorice Pizza is currently playing in theaters all over. When should people go and see the film? Um... Well, <laughs> that's an interesting question. Granted, being safe, yes, obviously. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I would say in a perfect world, I would say see it immediately. But, um, of course, if you don't feel safe, uh, there's a current surge going on. Uh, my dad actually just got COVID after two years of missing it. So um, I, I would just say if if you feel safe enough, if there's a theater around you where, you know, you can buy the ticket ahead of time and see the seating chart, um, if, uh, that's a, what I kind of do when I go see movies right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think this movie is going to have a huge audience, it, uh, just in terms of the fact that everyone's kind of seeing Spider-Man still. Uh, yeah, I would say it's probably, if you're feeling safe, I would see it immediately. Uh, if not, as soon as it's available to you at home. But I think that it's the kind of movie that, you know, like I said, uh, all that prerequisite out of the way, you would kind of be, kind of kick yourself if you saw it at home and realize that this is a cinematic movie and it deserves to be seen that, that way. Yancy? Yeah, I was just thinking as, as you were talking, Brandon, I'm like, well, things are certainly changing in terms of recommending whether to go see a movie in the theater. Obviously, something like West Side Story, I, I would say see in the theater. This movie, frankly, the way we've been talking about it, it sounds like seeing it with other people is the worst way to see it because they're going to laugh at the things that they're not supposed to laugh at and ruin it for you. Um, I guess considering how fragile everyone is, maybe seeing this one at home is a more... Uh, uh, realistic way to do it i think this movie's gonna have a long life and it's gonna be beloved by kids and young people like days of confused that's what's gonna be its real life is people getting together and watching it it's gonna be a, a cult item and you know so i don't think it matters when you see it um yeah i don't think it matters obviously it's a big if you can see it on a big screen do it but you know weird times okay <laughs> uh well um i i agree with you i mean it's 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 a it's the kind of like because so i saw i saw the second time with my dad and he's been talking to his friends about it. he's saying like you don't have to see it on the big screen it's just it's just a good movie to see uh he loved the movie but it, he's like not emphasizing the fact that it's a big it's like i don't know like i think the movie looks great on a big screen like it's shot it's shot in such a way where it just you know yes just it's not a blockbuster, but it's still like an intensely cinematic film, and so I'd certainly say, yeah, see it if you can, see it if you can, and see see it immediately because it's just a, a good time at the movies. I certainly recommend it. Um, so yeah, uh, glowing thoughts from all of us on Licorice Pizza. <laughs> yeah, if you can see it, if you if you certainly can. Uh, all right, that's been our review of Licorice Pizza. Let's move on now. Let's get to uh, what t- it's uh it's time for uh it's time for some games here. Bye. That is, of course, the improv theme uh, for games, and I have a game for you guys this week. Uh, this is the game that Abe made for this episode, 
Uh, unfortunately, he's not here because he's feeling ill, and that means I can't play the game, which makes me upset because uh, I was really looking forward to it. But I still have the game. <laughs> it looks like a fun one. It is called PTA All Day. And what it seems to be is a series of trivia questions involving Paul Thomas Anderson movies. Uh, so I'm going to ask you uh, the question here, and if you feel you know the answer, uh, say your name and then the answer. Make sense? Yep. Yep. Here we go. First question. Including Licorice Pizza, how many feature films has PTA directed? A lot of mental Yancy? counting here. Yancy? I think it's eight. Incorrect. Damn it. I, I was, uh, this is Brandon, I was going to say nine. Not Nine is correct. There you go. Yeah, because I, I was. Heart Eight, Boogie Nights, that. Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, There Will Be Blood, The Master, Inherent Vice, Phantom Thread, and Licorice Pizza. Next question here. Including Licorice Pizza, how many films has Robert Elswit not been the cinematographer? Ooh, I don't know this one off the top of my head. I think I do either. Take a guess. You could get it right. You don't lose points. Okay, well, Brandon, <laughs> I'll just say three. Just three is the correct answer. There you go. Oh, <laughs> Look wow. at you. Uh, the Master, Phantom Thread, and Licorice Pizza are all, I believe, uh, well, Phantom Thread and Licorice Pizza are basically Paul Thomas Anderson, if I'm not mistaken. And, mm -hmm. uh, and then who was the Master? Who did the Master? Um, I can't think of it off the end right now. <laughs> I'll, think, I'll look it up. Uh, next question we have. Uh, which PTA film has the most Oscar nominations? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Oh, probably wrong. I'm going to guess Boogie Nights. Incorrect. Damn it. I was going to guess Phantom Thread. Also incorrect. It is There Will Be Blood. Oh, oh, oh of course. Eight <laughs> nominations and two wins. Here's the next one. PTA has been nominated twice for director. Which two films were they? Uh, Brandon, I'm going to say Phantom Thread and There Will Be Blood. That is correct. Not for Boogie Nights. Holy cow. Not for Boogie well, that was nineties. That was a big year in ninety-seven. That was, there was a lot of people up there. Sure. <laughs> uh, next, next question here: How many films has Philip Seymour Hoffman made with Paul Thomas Anderson? Uh, Brandon, I'm going to say four. Incorrect. Nancy, I'm going to say three. Oh, you should have went higher. It's five. Five. <laughs> five. Hard eight. Oh, which one? Hard I didn't remember Hard I was thinking that I couldn't recall. He has a scene where he's playing craps with um with um oh. with Sydney. Uh, that's okay. like his first one of his first movies in general. Not his first movies. He had like Sensible Woman. All that. Anyway, Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, obviously, Magnolia, obviously, Punch Drunk Love, of course, and The Master. Next one. What, what was? Hmm? Wait, what were they again? Hard Eight. I, I just want to hear. Okay. Hard Eight, Boogie Nights, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, and The Master. Oh yeah. Okay. I, I missed, definitely missed one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Next question. Which actor, this is a multiple choice, which actor listed has not been nominated for an Oscar for a PTA film? Julianne Moore, Tom Cruise, Amy Adams, Paul Dano. Jesus. <laughs> that was one's tough. Uh, Brandon, um, I'm going to go with Amy Adams. Incorrect. Oh. Who are the four again? Moore, Cruz, Adams, Dano. I guess I'm going to guess Dano. Dano is correct. He was not Damn. nominated for There Will Be Blood. Amy Adams for The Master. 
Yeah. I would have. I would have definitely bet he was nominated for There Will Be Blood. Wow. I yeah, offhand I might have guessed that too, but you know, he, yeah, he missed out on that one. <laughs> Specifically for uh, for Paul, not Eli. Uh, but, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, next question. According to Metacritic, this Paul Thomas Anderson, this is Paul Thomas Anderson's lowest rated feature, including Liquor's Pizza. According to Metacritic, which is his lowest rated? Brandon uh, Inherent Vice. Incorrect. Thank uh, God. Yeah, I'm glad about that too. <laughs> <laughs> Lowest rated. I hope it's not Magnolia. Do you have a guess? I guess I'll, I'll guess Hard Eight. You should have guessed Magnolia. <laughs> That's the right one. Oh wow! <laughs> That's his lowest. It's that. 77, which is high. It's really high for Metacritic, so it's not like it's low, but it's it is the lowest rated <laughs> by comparison. All right, here's a fun one. True or false, according to IMDb, PTA has directed 10 Haim music videos. True or false? 10. Brandon, I'm going to guess false. I have no idea. False is correct, but it's still nine music videos. So is there, he's, it's a tough one. It's a tough I mean, you know, offhand, yeah. Um, let's see, where are we? Last question here. Including Licorice Pizza, how many PTA feature films is Maya Rudolph credited with making an appearance in? Oh, I don't know this. Uh, I guess it doesn't hurt to guess. Uh, Brandon, I'm going to say four. <laughs> Incorrect. Yancy, <laughs> I'm going to say two. Two is right. Inherent Vice and Licorice Pizza. All right. Good. There you go. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, Yancey, you did, you did, you put in a good effort, but Brandon, you are a winner on this week's games. Oh, right. nice. <laughs> and winning the games means that you get to come back eventually to the podcast, so that's good for you. And you get to, you get that oh. going for you. <laughs> that's awesome. We've cut so many people from this show based off of losing games. It's ridiculous, but, um, <laughs> but no, good job. And uh, Abe, thank you for that game. That was a fun game. Um, yeah, it was fun. Oh, he even had a tiebreaker question. Look at this. Here's a, here's a fun one just for funsies. How much money did There Will Be Blood, PTA's highest-grossing feature film, make in, in its domestic box office run? There Will Be Blood. How much money do you think that made domestically? Fifty. You can see you say fifty. Brandon, how about you? I'll go with. I can't imagine it made that much money. Um, I'll say forty-five. I have no idea. Yeah, I mean you're you're on the right track. Forty million. It made forty million. Oh wow. Domestic. Yeah. That's uh, actually not not bad for a movie like that. Not really. Yeah. 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 You know, two two and a half hour plus. <laughs> Danny Day Lewis just being mean. Yeah, that, sure. That, I don't think I don't think that would ever happen now, even without COVID. I don't think we would ever see something like that. No, we no we we a friend of the show Scott Mendelson would champion the fact that it made like uh, the highest per theater average opening weekend and then legged it out to like ten million over like the course of six weeks. <laughs> 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 that's that's what happened with that. <laughs> yeah. <it did. laughs> all right. Well, that was PTA all day. Let's move on to some out now feedback, 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 where we go over some of the various questions and answers on our Facebook page, Facebook.com slash podcast. We asked a number of questions to the listeners, and they gave us some answers. Uh, Yancey, Brandon, feel free to jump in with any answers you may think of for, for these questions here. Uh, but first up, we have, what are some great movies featuring young schemers or hustler-type characters? Uh, Chris writes, Oliver Twist. <laughs> any great movies with uh, young schemers? I know there's a million. I don't know why I'm blanking right now. Um, 
blow? Is he kind of a schemer in the 400 blows? A little bit. I was just, I was just about, yeah, I was just about to say that one too. <laughs> There's what 90s kid classic blank check, of course, right? He gets them. Oh, right, of course. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that, that was a staple for me. Schemers. I guess Home Alone kind of counts. I mean, he's, but I mean, he's not really hustling anyone. He's uh, maybe that doesn't count. <clears throat> I was thinking he was like scheming up all these traps. Yeah, it's not, that, kind of I mean, it's not, it. it's not too far <laughs> off. I'm trying to think of other young schemers. I mean, like Goonies, are they schemers? They're more adventurers, right? They're not really scheming due to like there's no malicious intent right. in their cause. <laughs> their cause to find treasure. <laughs> I guess Corey Feldman by default. He's probably schemer. To, eh, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's a Corey Feldman. <laughs> what's her uh, What's her name? Um. Between her and um and O'Neill in Paper Moon, um, yeah, she she becomes a yeah. schemer by default, right? She joins in with her. Oh right, her yeah. Pappy. yeah. Speaking of Bogdanovich, uh, all right, let's move on. Uh, next question we have here: What are some great cinematic '70s romances? Uh, Jason replies: uh, Ripley and the Xenomorph, uh, Brody and Bruce, <laughs> <laughs> Carrie and Tommy. Uh, and he writes, you didn't say if it was a toxic relationship or not. <laughs> so thank you for those examples. Well, uh, I would say, uh, I guess if we're on the on the licorice pizza theme and everyone being angry, uh, I, I guess Harold and Maude. <laughs> oh, we, we, can't, we can't mention that anymore. <laughs> that, movie, that movie's been canceled, I think. That's why Paramount just released a new Blu-ray for it. <laughs> It's funny. It's a good question because you, when you think of the '70s, you don't think of straightforward love stories. You think of love story, the movie, which is really not the greatest thing in the world. It's only uh, a huge hit. Sure. Uh, Badlands, by the way. Maybe my, my Badlands. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Days of Heaven, I think, is another great one. Yeah. Yeah, between that, those Nemo. people and all, and all that wheat. Anymore. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. I think Annie Hall. And, yeah, of course, Andy Hall, and 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 Manhattan, and Sleeper, all the Allens, <laughs> all the non-controversial Allen movies, <laughs> um, Bananas. That's seventies, right? That's like seventy-one. Um, all right, next uh, next question. Who is your favorite unhinged character in a Paul Thomas Anderson movie? Ooh, unhinged. I, I, I love John oh. Roland and uh, and Aaron oh. Buddy. Oh yeah, Josh I agree. Brolin. Yeah, Brolin. I watched that again recently after I saw Licorice Pizza, and he like he should have been a Best Supporting Actor nominee, if not a win. Oh, absolutely. He's so good in that movie. It's ridiculous. He's whole movie much more loved than it is. I, I, when I saw that, I was like, this is the movie everyone thinks The Big Lebowski. Is. No, no insult to The Big Lebowski, but it's like this should be the biggest cult movie in the world. It's oh, so absolutely. dense, and funny. Yeah, yeah, it's so dense and funny, and, and waiting to be discovered still. I guess I'm sure we'll get there. You can only once the once that once that um Last Supper with pizza and Owen Wilson picture becomes a college dorm room poster, then then it will get the audience that it deserves. I'm sure. Oh right, that's right. <laughs> Love that. uh, other unhinged characters in PTA. I mean, you got a couple in Punch Drunk oh. Love automatically, right? You got Sandler and oh, yeah, Hoffman. <laughs> both both of those were my next choices. Uh, I think Daniel Day Lewis is unhinged <laughs> all the way through. Uh, there will be blood. Um, Let's see. There's a 
there's there's two I'm thinking of from Boogie Nights, maybe three, but one one is the subtle unhingedness of William H Macy as he slowly unravels his, his character. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, and then later on with the Rod Johnson sequel with uh, with both Tom Jane and I guess Alfred Molina <laughs> by default. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Thomas Jane's pretty unhinged. Yeah. Where's the fucking safe? Um. <laughs> all right. Last question. Man. Oh, what? Sorry. Magnolia. Oh yeah, Julia Moore Magnolia. You call me lady. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, last question here. What are some great breakout performances from music stars? Uh, Jay Cluett, friend of the show, writes. Technically, it was his twelfth film role, but LL Cool J didn't truly break out until he lit up the screen and a shark as Sherman Preacher Dudley in Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Real quick, my friend, friends of the show, Jay and Mark Hoffmeyer, host a Deep Blue Sea podcast. So very much any chance they will bring up Deep Blue Sea, they will. And there they <laughs> have it. Well, on the on the uh, rapper tip, uh, I think DMX is actually pretty incredible in Belly. Yeah. Yes, he is. Was <laughs> I, that his first? I, really I guess it was. It was 98, right? So that's before. Yeah, I think that might have been his first because I think that was before all the all the Seagal uh, collaborations. Yeah, all, yeah, all those those key Seagal collaborations and Jet Li <laughs> uh, and like Romeo Must Die, I think, is the year after. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that was the start of DMX's short-lived but effective film career. <laughs> you know who's good? It, strangely enough, is, is, it may not be his first movie, but... What's his name? Mark Anthony in uh, Bringing Out the Dead. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, he's he's excellent in that. I, is that he's also in Big Night, but I don't know Big which Night. one came first. I think Big Night came first. Big Night I came first, movie. but yeah, it's certainly more. I think he's more memorable in Bringing Out the Dead. Like he has more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there. he's kind of in the background of Big Night. Yeah. Uh, Mark Anthony. Yeah, he has a small but kind of a, like he's in Man on Fire also. He, he was in, in the yeah. Heights for a scene. Like, like he, has, he pops up in places like Mark Anthony, huh? Doing all right. Lady so, um, Gaga, obviously. Lady Gaga. Lady Gaga. Yeah. I, yeah, she's been pretty terrific in everything she's been in. I, I guess it would have been a League of Her Own. Or League of Their Own is that her first movie for Madonna? That's for the season. That's for the season. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah, she's she's excellent in that. Streisand in Funny Girl. I think Funny Girl was her first movie, right? Yeah. Great in that. Yeah, it's funny. There's there's a lot of uh, musicians that have uh, done really well in acting. It's it's kind of funny that you know there's. I feel like there used to be a perception that you know that wasn't always the case, but I think that that's actually kind of the exception to the rule. Yeah, it seems it's it seems weird when people get derided now for being like, oh, look at them making their film debut. It's like, well, it generally pretty goes pretty well for them. So yeah, yeah. like it seems uh, right. With, Good in that in that uh, what's under first movie when Ryan Carey is good in that Freshman's movie, as I recall. Oh yeah, that's right. And uh, and then there's of course uh, all of the Nicholas Rogue movies. Uh, Mick Jagger is great in performance, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Art Garfunkel is great in Bad Timing. Mm. Yeah, that's true. Bowie. Oh yeah, Man of Felt Earth. Which is, like, none of this surprise because it's like you know, you're if you're a performer, like you're perform, yeah. you, you are performing. Like it's not a in it's you know it's not an unnatural thing for a music performer to like want to do acting similar to wrestling for that matter like there's a lot of yeah performance involved in those kinds of roles that they position themselves in already where it seems like a pretty natural transition regardless of how effective it ultimately ends up being and that's why dave batista is the best working actor we have yeah <laughs> i mean he's, he's the of, of these guys he's the most compelling right now 
Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, like if The Rock signed up for a new Denny Villa, do we have joints? I'd be like, why? <laughs> like, good for him, I guess. He's branching out, but like, I don't, I don't know if that's the thing I needed from him. Um, all right. Well, that was feedback this week. Feedback, feedback, and that is, uh, that is going to bring us to the end of uh, this week's episode. Uh, you can find. Uh, more of my work on my personal blog, thecodeisique.com. Everything I do ends up over there, but I also write for Wheel of Entertainment and Why So Blue, as well as some variety stuff occasionally. And I'm on Twitter, Aaron's PS4. Uh, Yancy, anything you want to plug? Uh, I'm on Facebook, Yancy Burns, uh, Twitter, Yancy Jack. Uh, most of my appearances are with you at this point, which I'm happy proud of, actually, at this point. We'll see what happens from now, but I'm Fair a semi-regular enough. on this show. Fair enough. Uh, Brandon, what would you like to plug? Uh, you can find me on Twitter just by my name. Uh, my last name's complicated, so just uh, you'll see it, I guess, in the show notes and go from there. <laughs> yes, um, you will. <laughs> but uh, but uh, as far as plugging anything, the thing that I'm most excited about, I, I, I've just uh, started a column for uh, Secret Handshake Cinema, and uh, that's run by Jacob uh, Knight. And uh, it's it's a re- really kind of cool, uh, kind of culty film uh site and my column is just uh focusing right now the, the last two uh pieces uh one's not out yet but it sh- might be out within the next i don't know when this is airing but it'll be out in the middle of january uh the piece but my piece is going to be on lee marvin and how oh, cool he, how he was able to say goodbye in his last lead role in uh, dog day kind of a forgotten movie not a very good movie but uh kind of an interesting his final lead role was <laughs> Felt like him literally saying goodbye. So, uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. I'm happy about that one. Very cool. No, I look forward to that. I like Lee Marvin. Great. Well, uh, you can find all the other episodes of Out Now, Theron and Abe on iTunes, Audioboom, Spotify, and Stitcher. Feel free to email us at outnowpodcast.gmail.com, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have handles all over the places. Uh, Brandon Yancey, thank you both so much for joining me to discuss Licorice Pizza today. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. For sure. Glad to have you guys on. Look forward to having you back. Thank you, listeners, as well, for listening. And that is going to do it for this week's episode. Next week, we're talking Scream. Scream 5 them. And uh, that's that's going to be whatever that is. And we'll see. Hope I'm hoping for the best. Uh, but, yeah, until next time, so long and goodbye. Hey, it's the Slop. You won't think you better be some of us. The smile you won't. Better get to smile. It's good times you won't. Baby, get your good times. Ah!